We have any thinkers in the room this morning? Any thinkers? No? A couple? All right, well, let's see. Let's bring this picture up and see if you can. Oh, Keith Webb's not here. Good. Any engineers? You know, Keith spouted it off really quickly. Does anybody know the answer? <laughs> Jason knows it. He was here last service. Bring up the answer. 22. Did anybody get it? The lampposts are 15. The snowmen are the number four. And the trees are the number three. And so some of y'all might say, it's still too early to do all this thinking. You know, I haven't had enough coffee to do all this thinking. Or thinking on stuff like that's overrated, you know. Uh, and, you know, actually on the website, there are 10 signs. And, you know, if it's on the Internet, it's, it's, it's legit. So there are 10 signs that you may be an overthinker. See if any of these uh, uh, pertain to you. Number one, I relive embarrassing moments in my head repeatedly. Number two, I have trouble sleeping because it feels like my brain won't shut off. Number three, I ask myself a lot of what-if questions. Number four, I spend a lot of time thinking about the hidden meanings and things people say or the events that happen. Number six, I rehash conversations I had with people in my mind and think about all the things I wished I had or hadn't said. Number six, I constantly relive my mistakes. Number seven, when someone says or acts in a way I don't like, I keep replaying it in my mind. Number eight, sometimes I'm not aware of what's going on around me because I'm dwelling on the things that happened in the past or worrying about the things that might happen in the future. Number nine, it's a sign that you may be an overthinker. I spend a lot of time worrying about things I have no control over. Or number 10, I can't get my mind off my worries. Whatever the case may be or whatever camp you find yourself in, the thinkers or the non-thinkers or the sometimes thinkers, today I want to lead us in thinking about the Christmas story. We're going to pick up in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels have returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angels had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen, 
just, it was just as the angels had told them. And then later in the story, we see where eight days have come and passed, and it's time to dedicate their firstborn to the Lord, and so they're in the temple. And we talked last week about the story of Simeon and Anna, and how they anticipated the hope of this baby that they had, and they shared that in the temple. And then I want to pick up a part of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2. It says, Jesus, beginning in verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, and as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when, they first, when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word this morning. And Father, it is my deepest prayer that you will remove me so that your people only see you and hear your words. Because God, it is your words that bring healing, that bring hope, that bring conviction and restoration and reconciliation. So God, would you speak through me this morning to your people. May their hearts be receptive to hear your word, to be challenged and encouraged and turn to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And that was what really stuck out to me uh, as I was studying is that Mary had kept all these things in her heart and thought about them or pondered them. Or she treasured them in her hearts. And so pondering is to consider, to bring the details all together, to meditate upon or to think intently about. So what do most people ponder or think about intently? I would tend to say we all, to some degree, ponder things and think about things. Try to bring all things together. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our young kids. Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right decisions? Am I leading them the right way? Are they making good choices? Are they making, have wise friends? Are they doing the right things? Maybe it's, we ponder about our spouses. Am I loving my wife? Am I supposed to? Am I being the husband that I'm supposed to be? Am I being the wife that I'm supposed to be? Maybe it's our parents. We have aging parents and we're caring for them and, 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 and pertaining to their needs as they walk through this twilight of life. Maybe we ponder work. Maybe we, we have hobbies or interests. Maybe it's sports, which is a hobby or an interest. I know a lot of you guys are probably in deep pondering over this afternoon. You know, um, you're just, y'all don't know what's happening this afternoon? All true college sports fans know what's happening this afternoon. 
They're, they're, yeah, oh, this is when they'll decide. This is, this is earth-shaking news. You know, who will be in the college football playoffs, the top four teams? And so I know one team that won't. Well, two teams that won't. Well, make it three. Auburn, yes, Bob, you're nailing them all. My Longhorns will not be in there as well, so. No, sir, it will not. Any more comments, and you're going to have to come up here and preach. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's a spirit, but, but, but we tend to think about the things that are most valuable to us, that maybe bring us the most pleasure or fulfillment. And thinking or pondering always requires time and energy. And thinking about spiritual things is a discipline. And that's what I want to talk about today is why should we ponder God's word? Well, for one, God tells us to. Joshua, we're encouraged, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything I've written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. The psalmist says, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Philippians 4 eight, we're encouraged, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You see, God tells us to, dare I say, commands us to meditate, to ponder his word. But when we do, it's where the good stuff is. You know, the psalmist says in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 3, says that when those who meditate upon God's word, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never, never wither, and they prosper in all they do. See, as we ponder and meditate upon God's word, it's what develops his mind in us. In Isaiah, we're, we see, my thoughts are not your thoughts, like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could ever imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, we don't naturally, in our own human strength, think like God thinks. We don't have his mind. His mind is so much far. For one, we have a created mind, and he is an, has an uncreated mind. We cannot fathom, apart from the moving and working of the Holy Spirit, what God thinks. But as we ponder his word, he begins to develop his mind in us. Hebrews 4 says that his word is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharp, sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It expose, exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Ephesians 5 says it's God's word that makes us holy and clean, and we are washed by the cleansing of God's word. See, it's where the good stuff is because it develops Christ's mind in us. It molds us and shapes us. It refines us and defines us. But it also equips us for the present. Second Timothy, Paul encouraged him, All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, God's word prepares me for the present. It equips me. It shows me the right things to do at the right times to do them. But it also prepares us for the future. Isaiah says, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. 
James 4 encourages us, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say, if the Lord wants us to, we will live or do this or that. That's why Jesus encourages us in Matthew chapter 6 to above all else seek the kingdom of God and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. See, he prepares us, he equips us for the present as we meditate upon his word, but he also prepares us for the future. So how can we meditate? How can we ponder God's word? Well, it takes intentionality. Colossians 3 tells us we should work willingly whatever we do as though we're working for the Lord rather than people. Galatians 6, 9, do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live alone to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You know, he says that we should seek after his word. We should ponder his word just as the, um, the man who found the treasure in the field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy his field. And then in verse 45 of Matthew 13, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great price, he sold everything he owned and bought it. That's why Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this earthly life in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, it takes intentionality, but it also takes practice. We have to stick to it. That's why in Philippians we're encouraged to keep putting, on, keep putting into practice all that we've learned and received. Everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul tried to encourage the church in Philippi to practice those things that he did as he sought the Lord, as he meditated upon his word. But it also takes time. 1 John 2.29 encourages, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. But it also takes humility you know, when, when uh, Jesus was with the disciples and he was teaching a hard word, as referenced in John chapter 6, and many of them began to fall away from him. It was a word too difficult for them to handle. The sacrifice was too big, and, and they did not want to pay the price. And many of them began to fall away. And Jesus looks to his 12 disciples in verse 67. He says, he turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. See, a person who meditates, who ponders God's word, realizes that every word is dependent upon, his life is dependent upon every word from God. That's why the psalmist says, but I will call on God and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night I cry out in my distress and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. And that's why Jeremiah says, and this is what the Lord says, the Lord who made the earth, who formed and established it, whose name is the Lord, says, ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about the things to come. See, we have to know 
that we are dependent upon God and His Word for His wisdom, for His guiding. So I want to encourage us this morning to take a few minutes and to ponder a few thoughts on the Christmas story. Now there's so many that we can ponder. And I spent, ever since Tuesday when Lee gave me the text, I got a Dear John text or a Dear Bob text. Bob, I'm going to need you to preach this Sunday. I'm not going to be able to be back in time. And so I began to ponder these things. And I knew God had already told me to encourage your people, to encourage God's people here at Dawson Street to ponder my word, to meditate upon it. And so I began to pray about that. And so I would come up with a list. Then the next day, oh, it'd be a different list. And the next day, it'd be a different list. Then I'd be back to the list two days ago. And then I'd be all over the place. I finally had to just nail down and say, stop. We're going to pick up a couple of things. So there's no particular order. But these are things that resonate in my heart. And just maybe, maybe they'll resonate in your heart. And so one of the things that I ponder is the place where God chose to send his son Jesus. Luke 2 says, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available to them. You see, I ponder the overcrowded town that God chose to bring his son Jesus into. I ponder the undeserving crib. You know, it wasn't a very nice place. He could have chosen better. He could have chosen cleaner. He could have chosen a more deserving place. And as I ponder these things, I think about my own heart and my own life. That they are much like Bethlehem and the manger. God, you could have chosen a better place. You could have chosen something better, something more cleaner, cleaner, more deserving. But you chose me. Why? Why, God, did you choose me? Why didn't you choose some other place? But I know you chose me. There's so many other places, so much better. But God chose us. Because psalmist, I believe in what the psalmist says in Psalm 51, verse 6, For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. It's echoed in Isaiah 64. But you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. God, you could have chosen so much better. But I also ponder the way that people interacted with Jesus. You know, the shepherds, hurried to see him. Simeon and Anna, eight days later, they saw Jesus in the temple and they had longed to see him and praised God for him very so much that Simeon said, Lord, take me home. My life is complete. My life is filled. Why? Because you have fulfilled your promise in my life and I have seen the Savior of the world. It's time for me to go home. There's nothing else for me here. The wise men of the east traveled a great distance to see this baby Jesus, this child Jesus. Some believe over 800 miles. The leading priests and the teachers of the law in Jerusalem met them with indifference to the prophecy and the story of how the baby Messiah was to come. And I ponder, what links do I go to in order to see or spend time with Jesus? Do I see God as more precious than anything as in Matthew 13, the 
the, the, uh, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field? Am I willing to sell everything I have in order to see Jesus? Am I willing to give everything I have to chase after Him, to look after Him, to discover Him, to spend time with Him as like a great precious jewel? Do I give my greatest effort to seek after Him? And Jeremiah 29, 13 says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. And that is my heart. That is my heart. It just this, this, this passage so resonates with me right now because I feel captive in my own country. I've never, I, I, I can't, I guess, watch TV anymore because I'm so tired of seeing commercials of people promoting things that I so desperately do not believe in. And they're telling me I'm wrong if I don't feel the way and think the way that they think that I'm seeing things wrong, I'm thinking wrong. I feel in so many ways captive in this great country that we're supposed to be the land of the free. No, it's not. It's the land of, if you agree with me. And I long to be restored to his fortunes. Man, I know that there is so much more for me than what is on this earth. And so he says, I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and I will bring you home again to your own land. My heart longs to be with Jesus. All of the world longs to be with him. This is not our home. We were created for more. In Ecclesiastes, he says, he's placed eternity in the hearts of everyone. Now, many of us find other ways to fulfill that, but it's never going to be completely fulfilled apart from Jesus Christ, and we long to be with Him. Do I seek after Him with everything that I have, or do I let everything else get in the way, like seen in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13? Do I believe the price to pay in following God is too steep, like the rich young ruler in Matthew 19? But I also ponder the gifts that were offered to Jesus. The posture of the people, Simeon and Anna who worshipped and praised him. The wise men who bowed low before the child and worshipped him. I think of the gifts that the wise men brought him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All gifts fit only for a king. All gifts of great value and great price. Frankincense used in temple offerings, a pleasing aroma, and a healing balm. Myrrh used in the embalming process, but also has medicinal purposes. And you know what's really interesting? Do you know how frankincense and myrrh are harvested? They take and go to the tree, and I would try to tell you the name of the tree, but I would mutilate the name Cambodian or something like that and they take a sharp blade and they cut the tree and they they peel back the bark and they let the tree quote what they call bleed out and it bleeds out the sap and then the sap dries and that's how they harvest the frankincense and myrrh is that not interesting do you not see a parallel there yet someone else that was cut someone else that was bruised for our iniquity Someone else that shed our blood that should have been shed. What could I, and I ponder, what could I possibly give to Jesus that could match such expensive gifts? And I'm brought back to the Psalms because the psalmist says that God wants our heart. 
You do not in Psalm 51, you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. See, God also wants my praise. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come to worship him. Worship the Lord in all of his holy splendor. See, God wants my focus. Psalm 63, I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. God also wants my obedience. What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promise to the Lord in the presence of all his people. You see, what could I possibly give Jesus that could match such expensive gifts? I could give him my heart. I could give him my praise. I could give him my focus and my obedience. But I also ponder the names given to Jesus. Savior, Messiah, Lord. And what's interesting, and if you look at it in Luke chapter 2, is in the New Living Translation it says, The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. He was completely Savior, he was completely Messiah, he was completely Lord at birth. He didn't have to grow into that. You know, when the wise men came and worshipped him as a small child, they didn't say, oh, we're so grateful for who you're going to grow into be. He was already all of that and so much more. He's the one who saves it's echoed in 1 Timothy 2 where it says, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. He's Messiah, the anointed one. As echoed in Colossians chapter 1, Christ is the, invisible, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I also ponder the name Lord, Master, Ruler, in Ephesians 4, we read, the Lord, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. And lastly, I ponder the posture of Mary. Submissive to God's will and activity in her life. Soaking it all in. Constantly putting all the pieces together of God's activity. Cherishing every moment. And so I wonder today, do you ponder the Word of God? Have you pondered and meditated upon the Christmas story? Do you take time and surrender your fleshly desires and dreams and goals to focus upon God's will and activity in your life? Do you soak it all in, constantly putting all the pieces together 
of all that God's doing and all that he's saying, man, I'm telling you what, he has given us an incredible opportunity this year. Just like our pastor says that we should praise God in all circumstances, that we can praise him this year because he's given us through COVID a heavenly reset. He's pulled some things out of our lives so that we can let those things go, hopefully, and focus our hearts upon him and meditate upon his word. He is worthy. He will bless your time, your effort that you spend as you seek after him with all of your heart. Can you call him Lord, dear friend? Is he your savior? Have you confessed your sins to him? And sought his forgiveness. If you confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. And cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Have you allowed the sweet blood of Christ Jesus. To wash over you. To cleanse you from your sin. And enter into a loving relationship with him. Is he the anointed one in your life? Is he your Lord? Is he your master? Man what a great opportunity that we have this Christmas season, we have five days till we celebrate Christmas Day. Man, we have a lot of opportunity to meditate upon God's Word, to reflect it. Our world needs it. I mean, I need it. You need it. But our world needs it. We need to see people who are reflecting the life of Christ in them. Why? Because just like Moses did, we talked about four weeks ago, he stayed in the presence of God and he couldn't help be noticed by all of those around him, that he shone, he radiated the glory of God because of the time that he spent with him. See, God's presence in our lives matters. It's what sets us apart. But it's also his presence in our lives brings hope and love and joy. And as we meditate upon them, we will receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Prepared for today, equipped for tomorrow, confident in each and every moment that God is on his throne and he is ruling. He is Lord. He is Messiah. He is Savior. And you have an opportunity to respond this morning as June comes and plays. Respond to those truths. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is Messiah. He wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your Messiah. He wants to be your Lord. You respond as God leads.